0: My name is Anders Back, and my solo project is called Gnome, and I'm from Copenhagen, Denmark. So I actually just feel like starting with going back to the beginning of you creating the project Gnome. Yeah. Mm. Do you remember where you were at when you started this project personally and musically? Yeah, let me think. The early sketches for Gnome were made on like a summer vacation house trip in 17 I think where I was alone for two weeks just making demos at that time I felt pretty alone I had just finished my master's thesis and I felt this pull away from academia and towards playful music and that was centered a lot around improvised music I made these long sketches with some machines that I brought drum machine, sampler, something that sounded soft and gnarly at the same time. I could like improvise for a while and suddenly there was some kind of movement in the music that resonated. That process was constructive at the time, but it made these very long ambient pieces that were super boring. I didn't think that at the time. At the time, I thought it was very subtle. I had this idea around my own music that if I make something that has some kind of deepness to it that isn't apparent, but if people like deeply listened to the music, then they would get it. That was a very self-righteous way of making intellectual music in retrospect but that was how i felt at the time yeah so that's where it started actually and those sketches were never finished in any way so i just kept them and there was something about them that felt right but there were a lot of things about them that really did not feel right and then they just collected dust for two years There's often very different ways of approaching your archive when you try to like, open up your old archives, listen in and feel like, well, is this good? Will I actually feel better if I just delete it? That entire process was difficult because I thought I knew what kind of album I wanted to make. I thought I was making an ambient album that was like soothing, uh, subtle, ethereal, Spiritual. I worked with that for a while and didn't finish again. Like, then I just stopped again. I was so frustrated about my own sketches. I could go back and look at my notes from that time, and I see, like, all these different keywords, like ambient, space, air. All of these different words that just meant nothing to me when I read them back. Why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep trying to put some kind of etherealness over these sketches when they clearly are saying to me that they want to do something different? It was a series of events that kind of heralded the change In how I wanted to make music by myself. A lot of different circumstances in my emotional life that kind of piloted me towards wanting to open up and that came through musically from many different areas like I started playing drums on my own tracks again. I come from drumming I am a drummer first and there was no drums on any of the sketches. And then I started to play and that physicality opened up to a lot of different things. Because I needed that rhythmic anchor, like something that drove me and talked to my, like, feral instincts. That opened up the possibility for me to write melodies that were simple and clear. And I think that clearness is maybe what the music has ended up inhabiting. For me, the necessity of expressing those clear emotions came first and foremost from tragedy in my personal life. I lost my sister in 2014 to cancer. And the process of dealing with that loss was very much connected with my musical expression. Maybe subconsciously, I wanted to let loose some clear emotions in my personal life that I wasn't able to musically for a long time. And once I started opening up, the music felt better. I wanted the extreme emotions all at once. And that's what piloted me towards getting a hold of Angel, Angel McLeod. Angel, it's not happening again. Angel McLeod is an American artist. She's both a musician and mixing engineer, producer, mastering engineer, vocalist and visual artist. She does so many things. she has a lot of different monikers. The most famous of those monikers is Fire Tools. Fire Tools was a project that I became aware of, I think, around 2019, which is also the year where I started this journey of trying to open up my sketches. I felt She spoke to something that I wanted to express myself. Like I listened to that music and I was like, I could cry to this. I want to cry to this. I want to laugh with this. I want to be with this music more than I want to be with the music that I had maybe been with for the past 10 years of my life. It's the rarest and purest form of generosity. And there was this one sketch that I had almost finished around 2020, just around when the pandemic hit. And then I ascended the entire album, actually, and then pointed out this one song, and I was like, do you want to sing on this? Do you want to play guitar on this? And do you want to master my entire album once it's done? And she responded immediately. Like, within a day or something. That was pretty wild. Because she was a person I idolized. And she worked on it, and she came back with a result that was way more than what I had expected. And that was exactly what I needed. Cried like a baby when I heard Angel's vocals for the first time, it just destroyed me. And I had such difficulties showing the song to anyone for so long, for maybe six months even. I couldn't even show my partner. That meant that that song like had to stay once again on my hard drive for a while before I could even touch it. Because every time I heard it, I just started crying. I kept it secret for six months. It was just way too much. And that's exactly what I wanted. Like, I wanted it to be too much. I wanted it to be more. Let's push it. Let's layer another synthesizer. Let's put a guitar solo in this one till it's too much. And when it's too much, then it's done. But I ne- I need it to be too much. I want it to be too much. There's one thing to the title of the song, This Strain of The Self. The title comes from a part of Angel's lyrics where she sings warfare for this strain of the self. The strain of the self could be a strain on the body or it could be a strain on the psyche or something like that. There's a war happening because something is stretched too much. I just loved that. It was so violent in a really nice way. Gnome name is spelled with all caps like an expletive, like shouting, and I want it to be loud. So Gnome means gnome in Danish, and Gnome has several different meanings. I just looked it up on Wikipedia and found out that the Renaissance understanding of Gnome is Gnomus. That's the the word for it, and that meant an elemental of the earth, like a spirit, an earth spirit. And I liked that metaphor that it was some kind of ethereal being from the earth. Like it felt so juxtaposed. Most of the time, ethereal beings come from the sky or angels or something that has some kind of spiritual connotation. And I guess the earth has a very different spiritual connotation. And there's also the imagery of putting something in the dirt and watching it grow or putting something in the dirt and forgetting about it. Throughout the album, the metaphor of liquid turning into solid mass flows through a lot of the titles, at least. And for me, it also flows through the music. The first metaphor of the album is that the album is called bitumenic. And bitumenic is a word that I made up. It's an adjective form of bitumen. So bitumenic means being off asphalt and asphalt is made of petrol, which is oil. And I love that tar-like sticky substance. Making asphalt is such a wild thing. Like it's releasing all of these like poisonous gases and it's so hot and vicious and disgusting. It's a way of coagulating oil. There's a song that's literally called coagulate. And coagulating is the process of turning something liquid into something solid. Like for instance, blood into blood clots. It becomes a coherent mass. If you move through liquid that is less thickened, your movement is more fluent and easier. But once it starts coagulating, If you go through a pool of oil that's coagulating, your movement is more difficult. So that the process of coagulation for me is also just a, a metaphor for something difficult. The whole process of making the entire album less ambient and more extreme and listen to the songs, I was so full all the time. <laughs> it was just so much. All of the songs were extremely chaotic and it had so many different instrumentations and everything was just like an explosion. I wanted to go and see what was left after I like destroyed everything. Then I just made a very simple sound and just played just the most simple chords, like it's just a C major to an A minor. It's just all the white, all the white notes on a piano. They work if you play, if you play on top of this song. And I just wanted it to be that simple and to be kind of a, just a last breath of air. So this song is called Sister Let Hill Hold What She Has. And it's the last song on the album. It was also the last song that I wrote for this entire album. And this song didn't come from a sketch that had been on my hard drive for ages. It came from wanting to write a ballad because they also express something very clear. Ballads invite you into some kind of contemplative state. The ballad is a musical way of telling people to sit down and shut up. And I love that. I wanted a voice, but I didn't want it to be a natural voice. So I bought a plug-in that's called Shivanai, Voice of the Elves. And that voice is like angelic and has this kind of fairy tale ish vibe. But I love that you can hear that it's artificial. I find a very deep emotional energy in that, that you can be very touched by something that's not human, something that was human, but isn't human anymore. I really struggled with that one. I couldn't do the same loud stuff that I had been trying to do on all the other tracks, most of the other tracks, because that had been my gateway to the strong and clear emotions, turning things up loud, doing more, not thinking, just building and building and building. And then this last song, I just couldn't finish it. I remember very clear, that's actually the one thing that I remember most clear is the day where I figured out what I had to do. I was sitting in my studio and there was these breaks in the music, like the entire song was done, but there was these like spaces in the entire song where I was like, I need something there. And then I listened back to some albums that my sister released. My sister was a jazz pianist. And she released several albums with her trio before she got sick. And I listened to her last album she released. And there's a song called Psalm. And there's this piano intro to that song. And I was sitting in my studio listening back to that. And I was like, I wonder. And I knew that this entire song from the beginning was supposed to be... Like I had written it with her and my other sister in mind. I felt like she needed a place an audible place on the album so the piano that's there is her I sampled her, went home, listened back to it, went back in the studio the next day, finished up the mix, and I was like, this is done, that's it. Because this song finally encompasses for me a dedication to my sister who passed away and my other sister who's still alive. And the absurdity of that entire situation was that I finished that song on a Friday and came home and was like, fuck, I." I think I did it. I think it's done. The entire album is done. And the next day, I woke up and I was so happy. And I had finished what I had started. And that morning, I, I felt that so deeply. And then I got a call that day, and my dad had a, a, a brain hemorrhage. Out of the blue, no warning. No nothing. It's the weirdest thing that I had struggled so hard for so many years to actually express what I wanted to express in this certain way and mm. was so closely connected to me and my family's history of tragedy. And then finally, after letting it all go, death showed up again and like pulled me back in. think because of that entire situation this song ended up meaning all the more and it is the one that sets the final nail for me. So the whole process after that was like coming to terms with the album being done and it having one place before my dad went down and another place after that because he fought for his life for a while after the brain hemorrhage but he ended up not making it and I wanted... I wanted to show him the song so bad. But I wasn't able to. Yeah. 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 And that's actually after that whole situation. That's how it got there. Because initially the song was called Sister. And only sister. And after my dad passed away. It got that subtitle. It's called Sister, and then a colon, and then it's called Let Hill hold what she has. And Hill, in this aspect, is both the place Hill, but also a reference to the Norse mythology goddess of death, it was called Hill. Let Hill hold what she has references a part of of the Norse mythology where the god Belldar dies, and hell agrees to put him back into the world of the living if everyone cries for him. And then everyone actually does, except one Jotun. A woman, like a giant troll woman, who sits in a cave and she refuses to cry for him. Um, the last part of her verse is let hell hold what she has. And I love that sentence. The things that are in hell, leave them be. The whole turnaround of that story is that the only reason that Balder doesn't come back is because of the Jotun, but the Jotun is Loki, who is disguised. That entire situation is one of the harbingers of Raunarok. The End of Times. So it's, it's a very heavy subtitle, but that sentence, unrelated to Norse mythology, but just that sentence in itself, has some lightness and freedom to it that I really like. It describes a way of keeping close by letting go. And I think being around death emphasizes that the points in time where you think that it's the most appropriate to feel something or to cry for someone is often the situations where you can't. You never weep at the appropriate times. There's no space left for you to be considerate or feel things in the right way. When you're facing death, nothing compares, so you have no frame of reference even if you've experienced death before. A person I talked to about the album at one point said to me that some of the sounds that I use would in many other contexts be humorous or ironic, cheesy or corny or whatever lame adjectives from the zeros that we can find and talk about and distance ourselves from. I've never believed in a guilty pleasure. I think that's nonsense. And I think the important lesson from a guilty pleasure is that there is something you enjoy. Maybe that's funny and that's great. Music doesn't have to be serious to be felt. I try with my music to have those sentiments coexist. That something that is light or humor filled has a place right beside something that's extreme. Because for me, that's exactly what death is. <laughs> I heard a guy guy that I saw at a show once. He says that the absurdity of death is something that exists always. So eventually there's going to be laughter around death. So once death exists, then everything else around it becomes absurd. And he goes on to like explain that if you're at a funeral, then at some point you're going to be hungry and then you have to eat again. You have to go to the bathroom. You have to take a shit. And that feels less important than the stuff that just happened. All of these like different very mundane things just like keep on going. It's so weird that death has this like gravity to it that once it happens, everything is pulled towards it. But at one point you have to like do as you usually do with your life. And there is no shame in that things do go back to normal and nothing is normal of course nothing is normal you've lost someone that's awful and the things that brought you joy before a death will keep on bringing you joy and by that i don't mean the big things i mean the the stupid things and i think music is one of those stupid things it's one of those things that continues to bring me joy even in the face of death I keep on making music despite having experienced tragedy and I know so many people who've experienced far worse things than me, who also keep on doing the things that they love. There's a perseverance in that, there's an energy in that, there's a future in that. There's another song on the album called "Entry Plug," The Vessel of the Heart, which is a very bright song on the album. The title of that song is a reference to an anime show. It's like a Japanese 90s anime that's called Neon Genesis Evangelion. It's not really an album that I made for the sake of making it heavy, too heavy to listen to or too much in some sort of way, but more that the ways that I try to connect with something heavy is just by, like, screaming is just a lock that you open. The things that are behind that lock can be so much more than being angry or being pissed off or being sad or something like that. If you've been through tragedy, then you can only make music where you scream and are angry all the time. Of course not. That makes no sense. I feel like we need to stay with death way more than we actually do. We have no way of really celebrating the death other than a funeral. I think a funeral is such a beautiful ritual. I wouldn't say I love to go to funerals, I've been to my fair share, but I think it's an extremely important ritual because of its communal aspects, that you meet and you connect because of another person. It's a way of signaling that life just moves on. And we don't really celebrate that in Denmark in any other way. For me working with this album and these songs have been an outlet to have a relationship to death. Staying with death has meant everything to me. The clearest musical metaphor for me with that is like staying with those sketches that I hated.